And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Amen. Well, I know you've been busy, but have you had time to consider what it is that we are doing tonight? You can't make this up. What we proclaim to the world is that the true and living God, the eternal one, who has no beginning and no end, has come into this world as one of us. It's astounding.
What it means is that this world is not spinning meaninglessly through nothingness. What it means is that your life is part of a grand story. It is his story. It is the story of the redemption of the world. By the birth, life, death, resurrection, and coming again in glory of the king of creation. And in that story, you are called, each one, to humble yourselves, to bow the knee, and pledge yourselves to the king. Now. It's beautiful how this story is told. He certainly didn't look like a king. You see, the gospel of Jesus is, in a way, both hidden and revealed at the same time. Just by how he came into the world. Now think about what it means that Jesus came into the world in the way in which he did in the circumstances surrounding his birth. Luke 2, probably, in my estimation, (laughs) the most beautiful piece of human literature ever composed. But there is within this story, true story, a deep and powerful irony. Did Did you get it? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, the supposed ruler of the world. Caesar Augustus. He proclaimed himself to be a god. Augustus was was not his name. It was the name. He gave to himself Augustus, the august one, the awesome one, the majestic one, the revered one. He claimed, literally, yes, historical fact, Caesar Augustus claimed to be the savior of the world because he had brought peace on earth. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, by the blood of the sword. You hear the the deep irony in this beautiful story? Caesar Augustus had issued a decree which required Joseph to return to his original hometown of Bethlehem in order to register for a tax. In other words, 
so that Augustus could keep his subjects under his thumb. So the Christmas story, as beautiful as it is, takes place against the backdrop and in the context of brutal political oppression. Just as our Christian brothers and sisters this night all over the world are brutally oppressed. Caesar Augustus issued a decree and all the world moved at his command. Ah, so it seemed. In fact, 700 years before Caesar Augustus, the Old Testament prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world would would be born in Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus had no idea of that. And though Caesar had no idea of it, his decree, his decree was nothing more than the outworking of God's eternal decree. (laughs) His decree was nothing more than the outworking of God's eternal decree. A pawn in the hand of Almighty God. It was Caesar's decree that forced Joseph to return to Bethlehem with Mary, but by that decree, unbeknownst to him, Caesar Augustus full of his pompous pride and worldly power, served only to fulfill the prophecy of the birth of the true king whose kingdom would never end. Where is the glory and power of Rome tonight? All over the world. Believers are worshiping the true kingdom, the true king whose kingdom will never end. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and shall not ever overcome it. And the Caesars of the world today, all those who put themselves above others and above God with worldly power, worldly wealth, worldly wisdom, and worldly glory, who seek the world's worship and the world's obedience, the Caesars of the world today will all pass away beneath the king who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Now, he certainly didn't seem like a king. When he came into the world as man born of woman, he demanded no special privileges for himself. He made no special providential arrangements for his own earthly comfort, not on the night of his own birth, when he was most weak and vulnerable, nor at any other time in his life. If you were God, would you choose to be laid in a manger? Silly question. Oh, but it points us to something Not so silly. If you were God, would you choose to be laid on a cross? Jesus, the Son of God, for our sake, subjected himself fully to the sufferings and all the harsh, cruel realities of this world. He did not take the easy road in the journey of human life. He did not take any shortcuts. He took the low road, the long road, walked it all the way by himself for you, for me. Jesus, the Son of God, 
incarnate, did not live an easy life. He lived the hardest life of all. And it began right here on this night in Bethlehem when there was no room for them in the inn. It began with God's coming into the world as the most lowly of men, the high king of heaven, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Think about this now. The first people to learn of his birth other than Mary and Joseph were very lowly people. They were so lowly that Luke does not even tell us their names. Think of that. They were unimportant people, no-name people, what the world would call nobodies. They were shepherds. They had no formal education, no social status or economic standing or political power. They had a hard life, staying out in the fields with the sheep, roaming from pasture to pasture, fending off predators, fighting off thieves. Shepherds, generally speaking, Palestinian shepherds in the first century, They themselves were a rough lot. They were not well-groomed. They would not have been invited to any of the Christmas parties that you and I have enjoyed this season. But the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. So then these nobodies suddenly became somebodies. God sent His angel to them first. Why? Why was the message directed to them? Well, again, in the circumstances of the announcement to the shepherds, something about the gospel is itself revealed to us. This was the announcement of the birth of the Messiah, the Christ, the promised son of David, King David's descendant who would sit upon the throne forever. You remember that King David himself was once a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd who became a king. God raised him from lowliness to greatness, from tending his flock to ruling over the nation. That was all part of God's plan to show his people Israel that the true Savior, the true King, would first of all be like a lowly shepherd, one who tends the flock. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah, the Christ, would, quote, shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So it was especially appropriate that shepherds were the first ones to hear the message that the true shepherd of Israel had been born, a king so lowly that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger, a king who was like them, a king whose cradle smelled like animals. Finally, the true king had been born, the king who would be their shepherd, the shepherd of shepherds. The shepherd king who could and would identify with them in their lowliness, in their neediness, and somehow raise even them into glory. It was just as the angel said. This was good news, gospel. That's what gospel means, you know. Good news. That was and is for all people. It was and is a message for all. Even the lowliest, the overlooked, taken for granted. Poor, rough around the edges, unimportant people whose names we do not know, like those shepherds. That is God's way of saying that He has come into the world for us all, for all who know their need, for all who will admit their utter poverty, for all who will admit their utter nothingness before Him, for all who will confess their sins 
and turn from them. You know, I love to say it, and members of Covenant hear me say this all the time. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to save pretty good people. He came to save despicable sinners. And that's what Jesus himself said. Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in sending his only begotten son into the world, God God didn't reach down from heaven to help those who were doing their best to help themselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save helpless, helpless sinners. As it is written, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, you see, at this point, the account of Jesus' birth, as beautiful as it is, confronts us, you and me, with our own pride, as much as it confronted the pride of Augustus Caesar. Do we take him seriously? This king who was laid in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do we believe that one so lowly, so weak could save us? Do we, do we believe we need to be saved? Are we willing to humble ourselves before him and submit our lives to him? Would you have him? Would you have him really to be your king? King whose word is command to rule over you, to rule over your life, to tell you how to live your life for His glory. Would you worship His majesty and obey His word? Would you have Him as King? If we would come to Jesus Christ and have Him as our King, then we must come to Him like poor shepherds without any personal pride or worldly self-importance, in our utter poverty, helplessness, powerlessness, nothingness, and unimportance. We must come as poor shepherds who need a good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Obviously, with those words, Jesus was referring to the sacrifice he would make on the cross. But that very sacrifice for our sins, that laying down of his life for us as our substitute to rescue and to redeem us, well, it was even that was foreshadowed for us in the circumstances of his birth. There was no place for him in the end, which is Scripture's way of revealing to us that from the very beginning the world would reject him. He was wrapped in rags as a peasant child. No one would recognize him as being of royal blood, much less divine. He was laid in a wooden trough where beasts were fed. It points to the fact that he would be laid upon a wooden cross that we might feed upon him the bread of life, the food of our souls. King wrapped in swaddling cloths was the king of heaven who clothed himself in humility to come down to humanity. He's come all the way down to you and me. All the way down. As our brother of human flesh and blood without sin. 
He offered himself as our substitute to bear our sins in his own body on the tree, to suffer in our stead, to taste death for us and to do away with death for us. And by the way, he certainly did not look like a king then either. Stripped, naked, and wearing a crown of thorns. From the manger to the cross. From his birth to his death. He humbled himself for the salvation of poor, helpless sinners. You and me. And because he was and is the Son of God, in dying for us, he destroyed death. He destroyed death's power. He swallowed it up in his own infinite life as the Son of God in order to raise us up, even us, with him in the glory of life everlasting. Well, tomorrow we will exchange gifts. Those gifts are but reflections of the gift which God has given to us. So here's the takeaway. Make the connection between the gifts under the tree and the gift on the tree. Make the connection between the gifts under the tree and the gift on the tree. Jesus Christ, the king wrapped in swaddling cloths, Laid in a manger, nailed to a cross, laid in a tomb, raised up in victory, coming again in glory, the everlasting King of kings. And to God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. We rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. We rejoice in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and the Savior of our lives. We rejoice in you, O God, the Holy Spirit, who lives and moves among your people to give us life everlasting in union with Christ in the fellowship of the Father to the glory of the triune God, in whose name we pray, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm the faith of the church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. The Nicene Creed articulates for us the mystery of the incarnation, the two natures of Christ, human and divine, united in one person, Christian in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, 
the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thank you.